Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And this week, we're shaking things up and doing some fan service. We're actually going to do our favorite, least favorite, best supporting, and... Favorite villain. Favorite villain characters from fantastic books. So, we're going to be starting out with our favorite villains from any fantasy book that we've read and kind of go into what they're all about. Mm-hmm. Who did you pick? <laughs> all right, yeah, let's hop right in. Let's so, get right to it. Uh, for villain, there's a couple, but I'm going to start with King Sauron, and he's from the Children of the Blood and Bone series, which the book itself is awesome. It's um, not quite sure. I don't have access to the author's name right off the bat. Tomi Adaimi. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um she, I read it when it first came out, and it is really good. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's like a fantasy book based upon like African culture and the world around it. People have magical abilities over like the elements and light and darkness, and some people even have the ability to control the undead, which is really cool. Yeah, but of course... Not everybody has the power, so there's, like, co- uh, class conflict between, like, people with magic and people without magic, which kind of brings us to the king. Yeah, as the, the protagonist. does not have magic. Or, he's, he's very against magic. Yeah, so King Sauron, his family was murdered by a magic user that could manipulate fire, so he basically started an entire genocide of all the magic users in this world. And found a way in order to disrupt everyone's ability to cast magic. Yeah, so... So then he pretty much caused all the people who once were able to use magic, who were still alive, to be treated as, like, second-class citizens and to be controlled and persecuted and basically creates this dystopian world where the non-magic users and people of higher bloodlines that aren't quote-unquote, contaminated by magic, you know, are in charge, which leads to our protagonist in this series kind of getting the opportunity to rise to power and take control of her fate and overthrow this evil empire that's in place. But it's so cool, too, because, like, obviously magic has so many benefits, but he has that same mentality of, like, well, one magic user was bad, so therefore they're all bad and doesn't ever see, like, the good in magic. Yes, And so that's why he's, you know, committed genocide. But I think it's really uh, interesting, the development of his character and his two children, because his first family got killed. So he has this new family, and in his mind, they're kind of like second best. They're not his original heirs to the throne. And so he's so harsh on them. He never wants them. He doesn't want them to suffer like the same loss as his first family. But because of that, he's like, Oh, it's way too overboard. It's way overboard. He's, like, physically abusive and, like, pits them against each other and, like, makes them fight until, like, it's way gone way too far. So, like, these kids have, like, these disturbing scars on them, too. And because they've just been grown up insulated in the palace, they, like, think it's kind of okay. Like, they know it's not okay, but they're, like, not really sure. Desensitized, almost. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, so he, it's just a great villain in, like, in a terrible way... It's Have you finished kind of, the book yet? I'm, like, right at the finish line. Okay, so, so I'm not no, going to tell you what happens. No spoilies! But, um, <laughs> no spoilies! Just kidding. This episode's full of spoilers. Yeah, so... You gotta deal with it. But, um... 
Yeah, I don't know. He does these horrible things, but you can rationalize the motives. I think it's also interesting to note that, like, the persecution of one group of people is a pretty typical, like, trope in in fantasy books. Right. But he's the one where it seems the most... Like, yes, Voldemort is portrayed as, like, magic Hitler. Yeah. But you never really <laughs> see it happening. So it's just like, oh, yeah, he was going around killing all the Muggleborns, but there's not, like, description of what it was like mm-hmm. because it happened, like, prior to the story. Whereas this guy is so brutal with his own family and, like, the main character is living with, like, the direct effects of her own mother being killed in this genocide, like... The active acts of villainy are in place. Yeah, they're a lot more, like, visceral Mm. than some other uh, villains where it's just, like, they're bad and you have to just trust that they're bad. Yeah, and one thing I really just appreciate about that, the Children of Blood and Bone as itself, you know, I think in any other... Uh, fantasy world those who have magic or power it's so sought after it's so desired mm-hmm. and in this book it's like it's you're like cursed you're... like you're filth like you're a magic user like yes at a certain point in the book like those who once had access to magic no longer have the connection so they can't use their powers but they're looked on as filth and that's like really an interesting approach with it yeah because usually magic people are at the top yeah. Because they're powerful. Right. But if they've been stripped of all their powers, there's nothing they can do. Yeah, and even though they don't have powers, they're still kind of looked down upon. So really creative and interesting writing. So my favorite villain is a pretty classic one that I'm pretty sure most people hate. is Umbridge from Harry Potter. <sighs> the worst. She's <laughs> the worst. And I know that she's not the main villain in those books. Like I said, it's obviously Voldemort. But she is one of those people who's a very real real villain. Like, we've all known someone like her. She has this authority and power that she hasn't earned, so she abuses it, but for ways that are, like, not beneficial. Like, it's not like she's trying to give tough love or, like, make things harder so that they'll eventually be better. It's just, like, control for the sake of control. True corruption. Yes. Uh, but she's, like, it's weird because she wants to follow the rules so badly that she becomes corrupt. Like, it's it's so twisted. Yeah. And like, she's obsessed with, like, the government wants us to do this, and the government wants us to do that, but, like, the the government is corrupt, and, like, the rules that they're putting in place are stupid and useless, and it's just so frustrating to watch her, like, have power. Like, when, when Harry has to do that, like, quill that, like, writes into the back of his hand, ugh, and it's just, like, yeah. her, like, sitting there kind of smugly, like, smiling, like, ugh. There's such ugh. an evil, vindictive, <laughs> just, like, everything about her, like, mm-hmm. And, like, ugh. Oh, and her, like, little laugh and, like, how everything is just, like, cutesy and quaint. And, like, no one would ever expect her to be mean. Like, yeah. How preposterous. But, like, oh, she's so corrupt and ugh. so evil. Especially in, like, the film adaptations. I'm not sure the actress that portrays Umbridge. She does a phenomenal yeah, job. Yeah, like, you actively love to hate, like... Love to, love to hate her. She is so frustrating. Yeah, and it's just sad because it's, like... Within that realm of the series, you know, it's not even more so just, like, hates of Muggleborns. She has, like, ra- uh, racism to the other actual races, especially, like, half, quote-unquote, oh, half-breeds. Yeah. Like, she, like, really, again, like, source material from, like, re- unfortunately, like, real-life people in power. Yep. And it's just a well-written villainous character. I just think it's it's interesting, too, to 
give this kind of evil bend to a character that is not particularly powerful. Like, she's not powerful in magic. She's not really powerful as, like, a commanding person. Like, she has this authority. Mm-hmm. But like I said, she hasn't earned it. So it's, she's so abusive of it in a way that is technically allowed. Yeah. It's like, you can't even fight her for it. Like, that, it's not like yeah. she, like, took over control and, like, you know, there was a coup or she is using her power to murder people. She's, like, following all the rules. So, like, what do you even do? But that's the worst part, too, is she's, like, a pawn. Oh, I know. We're, like... <laughs> I hate her. Like, for the sake of an argument, like, Voldemort, he is the antagonist, obviously, of, like, the entire series. He's evil. He kills. He does these horrible things. But he's very upfront about it. He's very authentic, like... I'm here, I'm doing stuff. Yeah, like, I'm bad. Where Umbridge, there's, like, this facade of, like, I'm just a government official. I'm doing what's best for the greater good. Like, yeah, there's such a fakeness, and it's just... It's very conniving, like... Oh, it's infuriating. And that's why half the people don't even see her as, like, a threat, because they're just like, oh, she's just following her orders, and it's so frustrating to watch. Yeah, no, truly one of the worst of the worst. But very well written, and like I said, I think it is because she's so real. Like, we've all met someone like that. We haven't all met somebody like Voldemort. Like, that doesn't make sense. Right. We're not walking around meeting, <laughs> meeting genocidal murderers. Like, Did you see that noseless man just killing people <laughs> the other day? Like, yeah. No. Um, but, like, we've all known someone like her. So it's just a very, like, real character in my mind. Yes. And then, actually, I did have one more uh, very dishonorable mention for villains. Um, Game of Thrones series, Ramsay Bolton. I've never read or seen Game of Thrones, so you're going to have to just take it away on this one. For those who have, they everyone knows the can of worms I'm about to open up. But just <laughs> Here's a short highlighted list of some of the atrocities of Ramsay Bolton. He's just a very cruel, who? sadistic person. He's from one of like the families of power in the series. Okay. And... He's involved in a lot of, like, the battles and struggles that go on during the series, and one of the things he's most well-known for in the TV adaptation and in the books is um, he ends up kind of, like, in battle capturing one of the characters, Theon Greyjoy, mm-hmm. and this dude is just sadistic. He, like, tortures this guy to the point where he mentally breaks him. Ew. He ends up emasculating him and neutering him. Okay. Um, at one point okay. during Theon's, like, torture, he basically orchestrates him to believe that he's being rescued and carried out of imprisonment, only to be thrown into another room to continuously being tortured. Why does he hate him so much? Oh, no, this dude just takes pleasure in the suffering of others. Oh, what a sick Like, in the books and movies, uh, multiple characters, including uh, one of the main characters, Sansa, is, like, raped, and he makes Theon, who is related to her and cares for her, watch. Ugh. He, like, oh, my God. He murders his own family for power. What a psycho. Oh, this dude, it's, like, terrifying. Like, this, truly, like, there's villain, and then there's monsters, and this dude is just straight up I was say, all, like, the amount of things that he just, like, you just listed is, like, too much. Oh, yeah, it's, like, hardcore. Like, it's intense. This dude is just, like, one badass motherfucker, like... It's just terrifying. So definitely, like, one of the most intense villains ever. 
I do not care for that. <laughs> Thank you. Man, what is wrong with George R. R. Martin? Like, what goes through his head where he's like, I'm going to make you do this and this and this. Yeah. And, like, why are you thinking of all these things? I know. Well, that's like the crazy thing. Like, imagine like the writing process of that. Like, where where are you when you're thinking of these things? Is it like right before bed? Like, what's the worst things I can think of happening to people? He's like, hanging out in New Mexico. I saw him. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, that's right. You did see him. Yeah, at CVS. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting those really long receipts and waiting in line. It's just perfect it's fuel. <laughs> probably why he hasn't finished the book. I know. No, he does live in uh, New Mexico. And I was there doing archaeology, and we saw him from afar at a CBS. He also has a really cool, like, arts and concert venue there. Anyway. Yeah, we saw him. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Not sure what about New Mexico drives him to write these disturbing stories, but anyway. Shall we move on to the next category? I tended to only pick one character per. I picked a few, but yeah, we can totally move on. All right. Do we want to cover our main characters? Yeah, we can totally cover heroes now. Alright, so my main character that I picked is sort of an anti-hero. Not in the sense that they do bad for the sake of good, but more so the fact that like he doesn't really help the cause of the rest of the group in the book. So I picked Dustfinger from the Inkheart series. And you read that book, right? Yeah, I read the first one, and he's a really cool character. So... For anyone who hasn't read it, his character, the premise is that he, in his world, was like a fire breather, like a performer, and lived among like a lot of artists and other kind of minstrel folk, um, but was really well known. And then he gets read out of his story into our world, but with the main villains of the story who were like in the process of like torturing him or beating him up when they got read out into this story. So his main goal is to try to get back to his world, but he doesn't have the ability to do that. So he's spent like, I think 10 years in our world, just kind of like living as like a lower class citizen, like always traveling from place to place. Like he doesn't have any like- A drifter. Yeah, he doesn't have any documentation or things, so he can't just like adapt to our world. And he really hates it here and like misses his family. Like you don't know this because you didn't read the rest of the stories, but like he has a wife and kids that he's like- left for 10 years well i did read part of the second one and oh that's what makes him such a like tragic character because then he does finally make his way back home and it's like not what he thought it was gonna be yeah it's a little changed and Um, like i feel like sometimes that's like the sad and beauty of dreams sometimes where you know you build it up in your mind and then when you finally get what you think you want for so long and it's not what you wanted and there's just something so like profoundly beautiful and sad about that i mean he gets he gets home and his wife is still there but like their first child died yeah and he like wasn't there and his his remaining daughter is like very bitter with him because she's like you left us for so long and didn't explain where you were and like he he knows that even if he tries to explain like they're not going to believe him so he just can't even, like, communicate, like, what happened to him. So he's, like, burying all this, like, tragedy down and trying to move on. But I think he's a really interesting character. And in the first book, he does do several things where you get really frustrated with him because, like, he kind of sells out the main characters a couple of times because he's trying to get a copy of the book that he was read out of. There's only, like, one copy left. So, I don't know. I just, I feel for him quite a lot. I feel like he's 
a very understandable character because he just has very simple goals, but in order to get there, he has to make really tough decisions that he doesn't want to, and I think don't really align with his character, but he has to do them anyway. That's true. Like, does bad things for good reasons, but at the end of the day, it's not for selfish... It is for, in a sense, selfish reasons, but he doesn't take any joy No, like, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm... I'm benefiting from, like, hurting other people in a way where he's, like, happy about it. Like, he makes these decisions so that, yes, he can get to his goal, but he feels so much guilt for the decisions he's had to make. Yeah. And then, like, tries to remedy it, but ends up kind of not being... Like, the the main group of characters who he betrays a couple of times, like, aren't happy with him either. Yeah. They don't really trust him, and then he kind of, you know will go to the the bad guys a couple of times to get what he needs from them, but, like, they don't trust him, and they don't like him either, so he has, like, no friends. And all he wants to do is go home. Yeah. No, he's he's definitely a complex character, and that's what makes him, you know, an identifiable character. Yeah, and, and, like, his traits as a character is, like, he's pretty quiet and secretive, so I think if he was better at, like, communicating things to other people his life wouldn't be so hard, mm. but, like, he can't explain to people why he's going to sell them out. Or, like, he doesn't... If he was able to communicate, like, hey, I have this plan, let's do it like this, like, maybe things would be different for him. But yeah. he just, like, doesn't rely on anyone and keeps to himself and is, like, pretty secretive. So I think he's interesting. Yeah, no, he's definitely a really cool character. So for me, my favorite protagonist that I selected... Is not technically the main character, but I chose Roran Stronghammer from the Aragon series. And for my least favorite character, I chose Aragon from the Aragon series. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, could not stand that book. We read the first one, and I really, really did not care for it. So just background on our, our contrasting viewpoints with the series. <laughs> I had grown up reading those books, and I absolutely adore them and treasure them, and you know, I still reread them and enjoy them, but Anna had never read them. So in her defense, the first book of the series, we can both agree, is definitely not as strong as the other books. And you have not even moved on from the first book. No, yet. I have not read past the first book, but I did not like the first book for many reasons. But the main reasons were like the the character development was very poor in my mind. And I think the main characters were just, like, like, the pacing of the story was weird. So sometimes, like, they'd move way too fast. Like, in the beginning, he's, like, training with that old guy to, like, learn sword fighting. And it's, like, all of a sudden, you're great at sword fighting. But then, like, he doesn't listen to anyone either. So sometimes people will be talking and giving important information. He's just, like, like, not paying attention. And, like, you had this big, like, important, like, prophecy thrust upon you, and you're just like, I'm gonna kind of do what I think is cool. And I'm like, you're 15, you're not helping anyone by doing this. And he, I don't know if it's, like, a plot device to try to move the plot forward, but I feel like Aragorn's character often just asks really dumb questions. Like, you know how in the Lord of the Rings movies, (laughs) Legolas just points things out, and I think it's a plot device because yeah. there's so much detail in the books, they had to try and translate it to the screen. So he would just be like, look, such and such. Like, Aragorn just asks stupid questions, and I think the point is for things to come up in conversation. But they, like, it doesn't flow well, and well, it's really annoying. And also, the descriptive language is just bonkers. 
Like, it goes on for pages and pages. Oh, like, when they we... reach Trondheim, the dwarf city, yeah, there's, like, a good, like, eight pages where it's just describing the layout. Yeah. It's a little Also, rough. the made-up language in the books is rough-sounding. I mean, it's clunky, but I think it was... I enjoy it. I think we will agree to disagree. <laughs> However, you are right. In the beginning of this series, Arion is very... And that's the whole point, character development, but... Right, which I think is why you liked it, because you were younger when you read it, so obviously you, like, identify a little bit more with, like, a Because I was very much a dumb boy. 15-year-old boy who... <laughs> but as, like, a 20-something-year-old, like, woman, like, I don't sympathize with this character in any way. Yeah. I just find him very, very frustrating, so... I know I jumped ahead to my least favorite character, but it is Aragorn for sure. Also, he has, like, a dragon who unconditionally loves him for no real reason. No, it's not for no real reason. Yes, it is. She's she, just like, I love she, you <laughs> all the time. She could have hatched... Sophia, his dragon, could have hatched for anyone. She chose him because she knew that he would grow and develop and become the rider that the world needed. So... But if she has this, like, wisdom, why can't she be more, like, useful with it instead of just, like, letting him be an annoying boy? Like, why doesn't she give him more information? Well, part of it is people have to learn and grow on their own. Part of it is because Saphira was also, like, a hatchling and had to develop as a dragon, too. So, like... Right, but, like, if she was a hatchling, how did she know he was going to be, like, so great? I don't understand this connection. Because dragons are born with inherent wisdom, and then... Yeah, see, so she has inherent wisdom. <laughs> all right, all right. Why doesn't she use it? Just love the books <laughs> the way I do. No. <laughs> all right, anyways... My favorite character in the series, <laughs> Roran, is phenomenal. So, where Aragorn had the luxury of having a dragon and inheriting magical abilities and strength and becoming a very powerful hero, Roran is Aragorn's cousin. He's not really in the first book, right? He He's, kind of leaves right at the beginning to yeah, go he, to a job? Yeah, so he basically has an apprenticeship because... Roran and his father, Garo, had taken Aragorn in because Aragorn was basically abandoned. And they go into detail about it later in the series. However, Roran in the first book is kind of off in an apprenticeship trying to acquire means in order to eventually propose to this woman, Katrina, he loves. Okay. And so, you know, they're a poor farming family, so he doesn't necessarily have the means in order to ask Katrina's father for permission to marry. So that's all book one stuff. Book two gets great because during book one, um, Garrow, Aragorn's uncle, gets murdered by the Razak, these like insect-like creatures, because they found out about the egg. Right. And so I unfortunately, collateral that. damage, Roran's father was murdered. While he was away. So for Roran, he comes home. Everyone's in his family's dead. His fa far family farm has been burned down. And the city Nobody's being Nobody sent him occupied. a message telling him what happened? Aragorn left like a note and like dipped. See, Aragorn sucks. He does suck. In that moment, very much so. And so, what I love about Roran is he's such a character of like intelligence and morality and just like... Do honorable intentions doing the right thing so in his like list of awesome things he's done in the series he basically rallies the entire village of Carvajal to like rally against Galbatorix the evil king and like the empire he convinces everyone to like defend their homes against the Razak 
Katrina gets abducted by Razak and taken away. And he convinces his entire village to uproot with him and travel away to help the resistance against the Empire. He eventually joins up with the resistance and becomes like a military leader and he does all these incredible acts but he has no powers this guy sounds like a way oh, better he's main character such a good hero he does so many like awesome get big moments in these books and it's like said multiple times like yeah aragon may be like this great hero but you have no powers and look at all the things you've accomplished and so yeah i feel like he's a way better hero oh, because aragon just like got all these powers for free. And then he's kind of bumbling And then he's just kind of like, Ooh. Where Roran, like, he goes from, like, good to great to excellent. Also, like, clearly uh. steps up to the plate, even though being, like, young, he's like, I'm just gonna, like, organize all this, like, important stuff and, like, be a leader, even though I'm young and inexperienced. Whereas Aragorn's just like, I'm young and dumb. I don't know anything. I have a dragon with infinite wisdom. I'm useless. You know what? <laughs> I, I can agree with that in comparison, absolutely. <laughs> I, hate, I hated that book. I'm so sorry. Uh, I know no, you love it, okay. but I really... And I wanted to like it because you like it, and <laughs> I just didn't. No, you know what? Like, we can all agree to disagree sometimes, and that's totally cool. It's fine. But yeah, Roran, he's my MVP. He's great. Is his last name really Stronghammer? No, he, he earns it. Oh, that's okay. I was part. like, that's kind of weird. No, so like, his like weapon of choice... Was um, it all Warhammer? Yes, no, but here's the cool part. Okay. So in the book... <laughs> You're geeking out. Oh, I'm totally geeking out. Um, there's a part in the book where he reads about a legend of a mighty warrior who didn't like to fight. And so instead of choosing like the generic stuff like a sword or a spear, he chose a hammer. And so he was kind of like... I mean, like, like more damaging, I think. Oh, yeah. And Warren ends up using a hammer as well because it like the thought appealed to him where like sword work requires a lot of finesse and tactics. And they talk about that in the book. Mm-hmm. Where like, if you're quick and cunning with a hammer, you'll just bludgeon everybody. Yeah, that's, that's like blunt force trauma. And so Warren like wrecks people with his hammer. And so he like literally quite honestly earns the name Warren Stronghammer. Like he vanquishes so many people with this friggin hammer and it's awesome so very cool that's cool did you have any honorable mentions oh absolutely so um another great hero um <laughs> this is gonna be a tangent to buckle up but um alina starkov from the Grisha trilogy oh <laughs> i don't even know where to get started with this well just a, a preface why you read it i rented this book from the library I didn't get a chance to read it because Sam just consumed the entire book. I did. I just picked it up and finished the rest of the series before like I got a chance to even start it. So I, know. I didn't end up reading this book, even though I had intended to. But you said it was good at the beginning. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It had so much promise. So the story follows this character, Alina Starkov, and she in this world, people have magical abilities whether it's the ability to manipulate like fire or water or earth and it's more than just like elemental there's other types of magic as well and she finds out she's the only person that has the ability to wield and manipulate light magic and she's like really strong and so throughout the three book series she gets involved with the darkling which is like this dark magic king and he's very 
like seductive and tries to manipulate her into fulfilling this prophecy where she needs these three like enchantment like modifiers that will help boost her power. Mm-hmm. And so at first she's kind of manipulated and was like, you know, this is who I'm meant to be with. He's helping me like achieve my like ultimate goal, who I am and become like who I was always meant to be. And then she realizes like, I need to get away from this dude. He's like dark and terrible and Ooh. I need to like free myself from the situation. And so the really cool thing is there's these like magic, like modified enhancers that are from the parts of these really powerful magical animals. Okay. And she, unfortunately in order to get these like talismans from them, has to like vanquish the animals. So it's like Aww. these big like boss battles that occur and it's like, just that's re- cool, but sad. It is cool, but sad to all like, but that's the thing power at a price and that's like the beauty and like sadness of it but so the series goes on and it's kind of building her up as um a champion of the people eventually because she's defying the dark king and she's gonna you know be the savior of the people and like people see her as like they put her up on a pedestal like literally like almost start worshiping her because she like brings so much hope to the people And so, you know, we have the book go in this great direction and almost too self-aware of like light against dark, good against evil. You know, there's going to be this big cataclysmic battle of good versus evil at the end. Is this still on the first book or is this like a series? This is a progression of the series. Okay. And she needs to get all three of these enchantment modifiers in order to become powerful enough to save the day. And, you know, she's a really strong female lead, and there's, like, this part of her that knows what... She needs to do whatever needs to be done, and she doesn't want to compromise on that. But then there's, like, the dark allure of this guy, because even though she broke herself from it and she knows he's not good for her, there's still, like, this... Like a romantic allure or like a power allure? It's like, like, both. like she can learn. There's more like a from romantic him? attraction and there's also like an like an infatuation, I think. Ooh. And like, you know, that's kind of an unbelievable thing because if you read believable. the books. And so another character gets introduced in the series where she kind of develops a romance for him. And then the book just takes such a hard left turn. And no. It's so <laughs> frustrating because basically spoilers sorry readers but um she finds out like this third catalyst in order to like improve her power is inside the person that she ends up falling in love with inside him yeah which i was like all right like why is it like a random person where before it was like these magical beasts is it like maybe a manipulation of like you have to kill the person you love to get this thing i think that's more or less of like what the theme of it was going going for for, but there's not like a logical explanation as to why yeah maybe i have to reread for the details but that was kind of like uh like you you know (laughs) it breaks the spell of like the enchantment of like the read where you're just like "Eh, uh." i hate that i i i think it's interesting in fantasy where like a certain level of things are just suddenly unbelievable in the world that you've created even though you've made up the world and like all the rules are your own. Yeah, like, the fourth wall definitely breaks in this moment, nope. and then it gets worse. 
oh no <laughs> oh i get so mad like Listen, maybe you could bounce back from that but no because yeah. then it's like you know they have like this whole intense moment he's like do what you gotta do like sacrifice everything you love because she he loves her and she loves him and he's like this is even about us like this is about the state of the world like whatever you oh, need so to he do like is like kill me yeah which is like that's cool okay cool. if you can follow this line all the way out could be good. And then here's where it gets even more obnoxious. Uh-oh. Like, oh my god, this is like definitely one of the most disappointing like series moments for me. She ends up like about to do the deed and there's like I forget how, but basically there's a way in which she's able to acquire the enchantment without killing this guy. <laughs> yes. You can't have your cake and eat it too. No, you cannot. Actually, I just read the Divergent series, which was like so so. The the first book was great and then they went downhill. But the main character dies. Wow. Bold and, like, move. goes, they go all the way through with, like, she sacrifices herself at the very end, and, like, she stays dead. Wow. Like, I thought there was going to be some way where it was, like, oops, magically she's back. But yeah. it was, like, the book ended with everyone just kind of, like, mourning. Wow. So props to that author for doing that, because Brave. that never happens. Because I always, as I'm reading, I'm like, things look bad, but, you know, the main character can't die. Like, they'll get out of this somehow. Mm-hmm. But that's crappy. You can't suddenly, like, not kill the person you love and get your talisman thing in yeah. your book. That's... And then literally, no, so... No, no, acquires third <laughs> talisman, no. talisman. No, no, no. And then instead of, like, ultimate power, like, ultimate light power to defeat darkness, her power gets, like, split up. So she loses, like... What? A vast majority of her powers. And then also, like, hundreds of thousands of people also inherit light power. What? Oh, I know. I was, like... I literally almost, like, stopped reading at a point. I was like, this is dumb. You literally had this buildup of three books, like... Light Who versus- was your editor? Oh, my goodness. Why right? did they allow this to happen? And quite literally, I can't remember how the villain is vanquished, because it was that unremarkable and Probably just because all of a sudden, like, everyone had light power, and, like, how are you going to face 100,000 people? Literally. And so then it was more just, like... I literally remember the end of the book being, like, Things don't always go the way you want, but if you have love, that's what matters. Great, that's a fine message, but you can't destroy your entire plot for that message. No, and like, not I think book related, a- but just fantasy related. I forever love in Avatar The Last Airbender where Iroh and Aang are talking. And he's like, it's smart to choose love over power. And I think that's an important message. But when you have a three-book series built up... But you can't get love and up, power, and then your powers don't make any sense. Yeah, like, it just... It became too unbelievable and shattered the illusion of a good like, story. Like, yes, I think it is important to choose love over power, but it's also really interesting in a book when characters have to make sacrifices. Yes. I was going to do a whole episode on disappointment, and that was going to be the book. <laughs> but, That's pretty disappointing. Yes. Um, I had an honorable couple of mentions for my favorite main character. One being... Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter, just because she is a badass and witty and snarky, but also, like, a good instructor and, like, a good authority figure for Harry, who, like, kind of keeps him in line and is, like, sort of almost a little bit like a mom, but not really. Well, she's, like, tough love. Yeah, and then I just, I love in the very, very last book, when Harry's in the Ravenclaw common room looking for the diadem and the caros come in. And he's, like, hiding in the invisibility cloak. And then McGonagall comes in and is, like, trying to confront the Karos. And I I don't know if they sh- shoot a hex at her or if they insult her. But Harry's immediately, like, cloak off, not McGonagall! And yes! And like, yes! 
get big for her. She deserves it. Not my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Not my daughter, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So good. But um, that and forever. Did you really openly defy Umbridge and insult her? Yes. Have a biscuit potter. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I love that part. I love that part. It's so good. It's so good. I also like how she's, like, kind of into Quidditch uh, and, like, really wants to defeat Snape at the Quidditch matches, too, because in her backstory on... She used to play. Pottermore, she used to, like, play. Yeah. I think semi-professionally. But I also had another honorable mention is this character Binti from a mini stories called Binti. And I'm gonna mispronounce the author's names, but I think it's Nnedi Okorafor. And I think this is one of the most unique stories I've ever read. So it's really short. I read it on audiobook, but Binti is like this, um, she's a member of the Himba ethnic group, which is very similar to like this group of people called the Himba in, that like live in our world. And she wants to go to this intergalactic university. So it's set in kind of like a sci-fi future, but there's still like minority ethnic groups in the book. Long story short, because of like her position as a minority character, her ship as she's traveling to university gets attacked by these like alien species, but she's like the only one that has, it's like this weird substance. It's like a clay-based substance, but for some reason it has like healing properties for these aliens in it. Mm -hmm. So she ends up like, even though they attacked her ship, she ends up like helping to heal them, I think. But basically, regardless of like what the plot was, I just think she's a really interesting main character because she is a minority like group and she ends up bringing about like peace between these like three different groups in the book because she is used to like being at the bottom of society and like being looked down upon and she uses that like empathy to help everybody like change. That's cool. It's really cool. So that was my honorable mention. All right. Do you want to do your favorite supporting character? I did my worst character, which was Aragon. So I don't know if you want to just quickly mention here's where and then we can finish with our favorite supporting characters because I think my favorite supporting character is my favorite, favorite character of all time. Okay. You know what? We'll continue on the hate bandwagon. Um, One of my least favorite characters, and yes, redeeming moments, but it definitely has to go to Effie from Hunger Games. Aw, she means well. She's just so misguided. Just clueless (laughs) and obnoxious. She is so clueless. And I know, like, the whole journey as a character, like, slightly redeeming. She does get slightly redeemed, and I think she just, like, tries to be helpful, but she's also, yeah, she's really clueless and, like, not... I feel like the perfect way to describe it is, like, an ultra-rich person just so out of touch. Oh, she's super out of touch. But it's interesting, too, because, like, she is part of the capital in those books, but she's not really, like, a super rich person. So she's kind of like a wannabe. Yeah, just, like, fake AF. Super fake. Super, super fake. So she, like, goes to the um, districts where she's clearly out of place, but then in the capital she's also kind of out of place. Yeah. Like, because she doesn't really fit into either group, and it's like, she's just trying so hard, and I think if she was just a little bit truer to herself, things would be different for her. Oh, absolutely. But instead, she just buys into this, like, capitalist, like, fake fashion kind of, like, consumer idealism of the capital, and it just it makes her a really shallow person. Oh, definitely, and I think... The film adaptation, whoever was the actress that played her, nailed it. Oh, she did such a good job. She did so- I would like to do an episode on, like, book-to-movie characters. Yeah, I think that would be cool. I have a lot to say about some of them. Oh, my God, yeah. 
But yeah, whoever played her did a phenomenal job, but I think they, in the movies, even made her a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah. In the books, she's kind of, like, useless and doesn't have any empathy for Katniss or any of the characters going into the arena. She's just like, maybe if you win, I'll become famous. And it's like, okay, but in order to do that, you're making a child murder other children, like, in cold blood. That's disturbing. Yeah. It's literally terrible. And just, like, the disassociation of people with, like, what goes on in the arena, because it's just entertainment for them. Mm-hmm. I feel like, literally, I forget, it's like a Futurama meme, but uh, forever for Effie, just, you're bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know, she's so empty. Yeah, it just sucks. I think that's the best way to describe it. Like, you're not good, you're not evil, you just suck, and it sucks yeah. to suck. Yeah. She's not evil, she just is there. Uh, let's move on to some really good supporting characters, because right. there's so many, and this was actually a really hard... I had a really hard time narrowing it down. Like, there were so many people I couldn't have picked, but I ended up picking Eowyn from The Lord of the Rings, because she's, like, one Ooh. of the most interesting female heroines. And I know in The Lord of the Rings, people don't get a huge amount of time to develop as characters, But, like, the role that she was given, I think, is really, really good. Because she was, like, seen as kind of, like, locked away by Grima Wormtongue. And, like, her family wanted to just, like, keep her safe and protect her. And she's like, no, I want to, like, be helpful and fight. And, like, I'm useful. And no one's paying attention to the fact that, like, I can be part of this resistance against, like, darkness in the land. And then... And I think this is pretty good, especially considering those books were written so long ago. She, like, has this love interest with Aragorn, Aragorn, and he's like, sorry, like, I'm with someone else. And instead of just, like, pining away, she's like, that's fine. I will move on, and I'm still gonna get big, and I'm still gonna, like, go to battle, and I'm gonna fucking defeat the Witch King, which none of all you men could do, because... I am no man. I am no man, and she's just so good, and, like... The sympathy she also has for Mary to, like, bring him along with her because he was also not allowed to fight. And she's like, we're useful and, like, no one's paying attention to the fact that Yeah, like, who's to say he can't fight for those he loves? Because he weakens the Witch King and she finishes him off. And so it's, like, the two of them, as, like, these underdogs make this, like, amazing kill. And it's so good. And then I think she gets a very satisfying, like, story arc of, like, it's not like that's the end of her story. Like, she goes to Minas Tirith and ends up meeting Faramir, and they fall in love, but it's not like it is in the movies where it's just they show them standing next to each other and there's no explanation. Yeah, of that. It's no. like this kind of very slow build to them, like kindred spirits. Falling like in love they because they both experience like hardships and they're both injured and like both tr- still want to be part of the action, but like can't and they're feeling very dejected and like lost and then they find like solace in each other so it's like a very satisfying story and like the love she has with Faramir is a lot better than the like interest she had in Aragorn just because she was like "Ooh, you're like a new and handsome man what are you all about and then she gets like a pure love and I think it's very satisfying for her but I'm also just so stoked because she like gets away from Grimoire Tongue and like spreads her wings as a character and like oh, does some so really awesome. awesome stuff and I really 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 love her well, I like that, too, because a lot of times in more, of like, Western and medieval-style fantasy, it's always, like, the beautiful maiden, she's a delicate flower that can't be hurt. And I yeah, love that everyone so treats her like, that way, and she's like, nah, I'm gonna flip the script. Like, yeah, she's go. like, I don't want to be that way. But also, it's not like she's, like, 
flips it so hard where she just becomes like... Like a butch. Like, is that like she's just like... Yeah, like, she's a very dynamic character. She's like, I am still a woman, and, like, I'm very proud of that, but I'm also, like, powerful and useful, and, like, I've studied sword art for a long time, so, like, I can be helpful, but no one's listening, so instead of, like, complaining or being rejected by them, like, I'm just gonna sneak along, do my thing, and then, you know, win the whole freaking battle. You know what, though, I think, and that's, like, the best way to go about things, like, in general and in life, like... Just show and then they'll be sorry. Yeah, <laughs> So what's your five-year plan, Blink? And then they'll be sorry. Right, but yeah, so, like, instead of letting people tell her what to do, she's like, you know what, I'm just gonna show them my abilities. Yes. And she does, and they're way better than anyone else's. Uh, so she's one of my favorite characters. That's really Because she good. really doesn't let being a woman in that world define her, and I think that's a very important thing. And I'm also just pretty impressed that she was written that way when those books came out so long ago. So props to that whole story arc. She's my favorite. Good job, Tolkien. You did good. Solid nod. Yes. So for my supporting character, and I think everyone in the entire fantasy book community will wholeheartedly agree, one of the best supporting characters of all time, Hermione Granger. <laughs> which really should be called Hermione Granger. And getting shit done, the series. <laughs> she does literally everything for Ron and Harry. Ron and Harry are useless. They dick around. They don't do any of their homework. They I know. They don't pay attention to anything in school. Which is also stupid because, like... You think if you could literally learn magic and spells and the ability to, like, modify everything around you... Wouldn't you want to learn it? Yeah, like, it's not even, like, a I know fun facts, like... I literally, if I study and practice really hard, I can literally do anything. Right. Like, like there's so much potential. And instead, Harry's like, mm, like you know what I'm good at? Flying a broom. Know what I'm going to just focus on? One thing. And my one spell is Expelliarmus. And I will do <laughs> nothing else. And guess what? I will defeat Voldemort somehow, everyone. Because I'm Harry Potter. Like, I, it's mind-boggling, because, like, he spent his entire life basically in an abusive family situation where he was subservient to people. Found out, one, he was the boy who lived, a child of destiny, and was, like, thrust a great prophecy on him. And then on top of that, finds out you are magical, and, like, magic runs in your veins, and, like, both of your parents were good magicians, so And then maybe. he literally gets the opportunity of a lifetime to go to a magic school, and what's his attitude? boring i'm gonna be a jock like such a jock such a jock which makes no sense because he was like the nerd that everyone picked on yeah in his muggle life so all of a sudden for him to just be like i'm a broomstick bro like <laughs> what oh uh, it makes me so mad but what i love about like hermione is like she's so much more than like her intelligence or like in the books like has her like moment where she becomes very beautiful and yada yada she's very practical and she's very clever in the essence that she thinks far enough in the future where she plans ahead in order to make sure she's prepared for things yeah i mean she can be a little bit of a know-it-all especially in the beginning of the books and she's yeah. just really trying to prove that she belongs in hogwarts so i empathize with like her eagerness to like do well in classes and like prove that she has earned her spot in the school. Yeah. So she is a little bit annoying at the beginning, but she ends up being so smart and, like, accomplished 
And I do love that everyone is like, you really are the, the brightest witch of your age. Like, people recognize her for her talent. Yeah. I think that's very important. And she sacrifices so much for the cause. Like, she literally, like, erases the memories of her family so she can go off and help Harry, like, find the Horcruxes and defeat Voldemort. Right, and meanwhile, Ron's like, boo-hoo, I haven't had a cooked meal. And Hermione's like, my parents don't even know who I am. I had to send them to Australia. Like... (laughs) <laughs> which is also props mode because she then, like, um, like modifies her memory, which is, like, nearly impossible to do. So hard. Well, just to do a memory charms is very difficult. But then to, to be able to do someone? them at that, na- like, level, but also not, like, destroy her parents' minds. Yeah. Like, she just erases herself from their memory. It's so good. She's so good at magic. And she's so, like, tactful and prepared and, like, when they're going off into the woods and they find your horcruxes, is, like... Just, like, all the perimeter perimeter charms and, like, having everything they need in, like, her forever large knapsack. Right, like, Harry and Ron had nothing ready to go. Ever. They never have anything. Yeah. So unprepared. Just truly just has her shit together. Definitely does. I was just about to say something, too. Oh, what I always like to think about when I'm reading these books is, like, we get Harry's perspective most of the time. And in the dormitories, it's like Harry and Ron are like hanging out. But Hermione is kind of by herself in the girls' dormitory because there's Lavender and Parvati mm-hmm. who are like a friendship duo and keep to themselves. Are there any other Gryffindor girls in that year? Uh, what about oh in their year? I was gonna say what about on the Quidditch team? It's um oh they're all older. Yeah, and Ginny's a year younger than so I think it's literally like Hermione by herself in the dorm room all the time and like that's a really lonely way to be especially from the ages 11 to 17. I know, those are, like, formative years. Formative years, and, like, her only two friends are boys. Like, she doesn't have anyone she can talk to about her emotions, or, like, you're going through puberty at that age, so, like, things are really tough and hard, and, like, she's kind of by herself. She just doubles down and gets through it, and, like, her only confidant sometimes is, like, Hagrid. That's gonna be a really hard way to be, but she never, like, lets that be a chip on her shoulder. No. So, I love Hermione. Yeah. Forever one of the greatest. Also, that thing when Snape makes fun of her teeth and they get... That is literally one of the meanest moments in all of the books. Like, why are you a grown adult man being so, so petty? Oh, I'm so over that whole, like, defining character moment. So you had a boner for Harry's mom that doesn't make you a good person. Like, I hate that whole... No, he was a straight-up dick for seven years. Like... Not even just, like, a passive-aggressive person or, like, favored Slytherin over Gryffindor or whatever. Like, mean. Vindictive and mean. Two children. Yeah. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and then, like, Why? I'm gonna name my son after you. Like, <clears throat> ugh, Harry, you suck. Harry, you should have named your son after many of the other men in your life that died. Like, Fred. Or Sirius. Or, or Lupin. Lupin. Like, you had many choices here. And who do you go for? You're bully. Good job, bud. Ugh, so annoying. Actually, one of my honorable mention supporting characters was Hagrid, because he's one of the few characters that, like, treats Harry with respect like he's an adult, but also remembers that he's a kid. And he's like, come over and have, like, tea and cookies sometimes. But it's also really fun because Hagrid is kind of a big child himself, so, like, they get involved in some of his, like, side plots, like, with Norbert or with Grop. Yeah, just the answer. I think he's just a really good character, and they they did a really, really good job putting him in the movies 
and I think his name is Robbie something who played him, mm-hmm. did a good job playing him, but there was just so much more to Hagrid that I think got cut out. Yeah. Uh, forever, I don't remember the actual, like, wordage of, like, the internet post, but there's a whole thing about why Hagrid defends such, like, quote-unquote, like, scary monsters. It's because, like, him being, like, half-giant, being, like, half-breed, and being ostracized, it's, like, proving to everyone, like, appearances aren't everything, and we're all not, to, like, just monsters are bad things. I know, he's so emotional and, like, warm-hearted uh. and, like, a big softie and... I think he's a he's really... like, just because we look different doesn't mean we're bad. And I think that's what's, like, awesome and, like, ugh, like, single tier. I know, he's a single tier for Hagrid. Like, he's such a good character. And I also, I like Hagrid a lot, too, because there are several adults that come up throughout the series in Harry's life that, like, were close friends with his parents. Like, Lupin is probably one of the first. Dumbledore knew his parents pretty well, but none of them ever sit down and they're like, hey, Harry... I know you're an orphan and you don't know anything about your family. I was close friends with your dad. How about if you ever want to talk about it, let me know. Because that know. seems like the logical thing to do. Whereas Hagrid, who I think was decently close with Harry's family, like gives him that book of photos in the first year. Like something that's really, really kind. Yeah. I know. I don't know if it's just like a British thing or like, well, but there's like, I knew your parents. End of no, conversation. Like, yeah. Like, do you not, not like, want to know more about your parents, Harry? You never met them. Yeah, like, it just, it's just, I don't know if it's, like, just part of the plot device and adding to the mystery, but... It's definitely part of the plot, but it drives me crazy that there are people that, like, knew Harry's family well, and they see this poor kid, like, all alone, with no family, and, like, two friends, and they're like, he's fine. <laughs> I don't need to tell him that I was best friends with his parents. It's fine. It's fine. So, that's one of my biggest character gripes anyway but because of that i think hagrid's a really like kind and welcoming character and like watches out for harry when he's at school and like helps him get all set up to go to hogwarts the first time and everything so he's one of my favorites i think that actually covers most of our list yeah that was my list i mean we hate old Cobb, so uh, forever he's on my worst list but we <laughs> dunk on him enough in the uh name of the wind episodes so uh. I hate you, cub. <laughs> it's okay. You, you corn cub. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just want to thank everybody for listening. We will definitely be putting out uh, periodically some different mini-sodes like these just to kind of shake up the content of the podcast and be able to talk about other books and characters that we really love. So in the meantime, we will see you next, next, next week <laughs> with the Name of the Wind episode. And until then, happy reading. This podcast was recorded by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opishinsky, produced by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, with webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opishinsky.